this fearless theme. And our goal is to, as we saw the imagery of the of sort of the lead-in bumper there, is just sort of make our way sometimes to the dark places. We're trying to find our way. And it can be a scary place, sometimes searching for a, a way through something. And we've been talking about what does it mean to live with less fear. We, we started this discussion. It's going to take us through Easter. And uh, it has to do with not just looking at different pieces in the scripture and looking at different exchanges that occurred in which we're sort of drawing conclusions from in, in, as examples of how to confront certain types of fear. But the goal is also to have us grow in our capacity to apply principles to our lives so that there be a greater dimension of blessing and life that would flow not only inside of us but also in our critical relationships as the years go by. So kind of keeping that in mind, I'll kind of start out by asking a question. And uh, the question is more designed to get us thinking. Have you ever had a, a conversation, or can you remember a few conversations or meetings or exchanges that we may have had with a person or um, perhaps even more than a, a friend or two that really radically altered our, our life? Um, perhaps some of us can remember certain certain meetings we had, certain exchanges that occurred that caused us to reorder some things in our life, that we look back on it and we go, wow, that was a key conversation, a very important conversation. Sometimes we might even say, you know, God really spoke to me in that conversation, and it really affected the way in which I began to move through at least a certain season in my life because of that impactful conversation that occurred. We're going to look at a conversation that occurred actually two of them, in the life of Simon Peter with Jesus. And two of those, those exchanges, one extremely brief, uh, really did alter who he was as a person. And so what I'm thinking that we can do here is we'll just start by having, you know, sort of a glance taken at, at John 1, verse 42. And again, I, I don't want to presume that everybody knows, you know, about Peter. Um, Peter wasn't always known as Peter. That was the name that Jesus gave him. His, his name was Simon, and uh, when, he, when he, we first hear about him, he's mentioned as the brother of Andrew. Many of us know about Peter and, and Andrew and James and John. They become very important, uh, you know, sort of figures in the New Testament and, and disciples of Jesus and apostles. But when we first see, see Simon, he, he and his brother, and along with his friends, James and John, they were fishermen by trade. They've been raised in fishermen families. Uh, they, they fished the Sea of Galilee for an occupation. And yet, they were also deeply um, spiritual men and very committed to the, the things of God. And that yearning in their hearts led them ultimately to fall, um, I, maybe that's not the best word, to become attracted to an extraordinarily charismatic figure who had emerged onto the scene, a man who was not just charismatic but extremely controversial. He had been saying things that were inspiring and at the same time unsettling. They called him John the Baptist because he said that he was preparing the way for the coming of Messiah. And in so doing, he himself, he lived in the wilderness. He, he dressed in these you know, animal skins and, and he came out like a raging man. And, uh, he, but, he, but he was talking about the need to prepare one's heart to be baptized. And he would, his signature um, sort of expression was to have people baptized in light of the coming Messiah under repentance. 
for the new thing that God is about to do. And he himself said, I am not the, the one. I'm simply the one who is preparing the way for the one who is coming, the one who will take away the sin of this world, the, 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 the one he said would be the Lamb of God, the one he said whose shoe I'm not actually worthy to unlatch. But we know that John had a lot of people who were following him, and he, he was greatly admired, and there was a strong loyalty to him. And so he does something that in and of itself is admirable. He, he follows through at the peak of his career, if you can think of it that way, at the peak of his power and popularity. When Jesus emerges onto the scene, John says, this is my time to bow out. There he is, the one you need to follow. And he pointed his finger at Jesus, and he said, there he is, there's the one. Now at that moment, all of those disciples who had been so you know, intrigued with John and compelled by him, had to make a decision. Were they going to follow the instruction of, of the one that they so admired and uh, do what he said? And, and two of the ones who definitely made that decision, one of which was Andrew, who was the brother of, of Simon Peter, made that decision. And he begins to make initial contact with Jesus. And he sets up a meeting with his brother Simon to meet Jesus. And that meeting is described in the first chapter of the book of John, the 42nd verse, it's captured right here. Let's look at it together. He says, then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Now, that's the picture. So this, he, this meeting is set up. You've got Simon coming to meet Jesus. And the first thing we're told here is that, and again, in our mind's eye, we can see it maybe before Andrew even has a chance to say, hey, uh, Simon, this is, this is Jesus, and, and Jesus, please meet my brother, uh, Simon. And, and before that even happens, it says Jesus intently looked at him. So perhaps Jesus was sitting there, and when he walks in and he sees him, and it says he looks right at him. And before anything is said, he says, the first thing he says is, your name is Simon. You're the son of John, son of Jonas. I'm changing your name. That was the opening that was the opening. I've made a decision to give you a name. Your name is now Cephas, or also Cephas, which is the Aramaic for the Greek Petros Peter. I'm calling you Man of Rock. Now, nothing has been said. All he does is stare into him and stare through him, and he says to him, I am giving you a name. Now, the very exercise of giving something a name, someone a name, is an exercise of authority. If you receive that name, you are submitting to it, to that word. And you know, probably Peter knew as well as anybody that, you know what, because what does a rock signify? It signifies stability and dependability and strength. And it's reliable. And, and he's basically saying, I am calling you rock man, right? <laughs> because I see what you can be. And part of Peter is probably saying, well, there are some things about that that really intrigue me, but you don't know me because, and later on it would reveal itself, I'm a man of passion. I'm a man of impulse. I, I, I'm not, I have certain qualities, but, but consistent dependability may not be at the top of the list. Because <laughs> when the heat is on, I just go. That was, the, that, was the, that was the statement that was being made, right? And so Jesus comes to him, and he's sort of wrestling with Peter, and he's sort of saying, this is who I see you as. And there's a, it's a very special moment. And you know what? It's, we really, from that moment on, you can see it. It's like that opens up Peter's heart. 
to Jesus. And from that moment on, and it's been said by, by poets and commentators alike, that from that moment on, Peter's heart opened and never closed to Jesus. Even, even when he had a crisis of faith and denied the Lord and distanced himself profoundly with, with as much intensity as he could muster, even then, at the lowest place, he never really stopped loving Jesus. He just got overwhelmed. He wasn't strong enough. The strong man wasn't strong enough. And even then, Jesus said, I've prayed for you when you fail, when that your faith would not fail. When you're restored, I want you to come back, and I want you to remember, and I want you to strengthen your brothers. I want you to do that. Don't ever forget. You be a strengthener. That's what I've called you to be. But that's, that was still years ahead. This moment here must have been indelibly printed on the mind of Peter. From that point on, he's known as Simon Peter. That was where his name comes from. It's the name Jesus gave him. I think all of us, many of us, not all of us, because I think some of us are getting really close. But maybe perhaps some of us can remember that moment when we first opened up our heart to Jesus, where we, fir where we first really heard him call our name and almost speak a word over our lives. For some of us, we can remember the exact day. We can remember the, the some of, for others of us, it's more like a season in our life, a period in our life that, that we just started to open up our heart to him. And all of a sudden, we, we found ourselves in a relationship with the Lord. And, and, but for others, I've, I was talking to someone last night, and they said, I can remember the very seat I was sitting in, in this church, when my heart first opened up to Jesus. And that seat means so much, they said it means so much to me. You know, and the point is, is that all of us have moments. You know, I look back at my own life, and I just remember, you know, I grew up in Sunday school. I grew up in church, and I knew about Jesus. I think I had accepted him in my life. But I can remember a particular point in my life, in my teen years, where I really, for the first time of my own true volition, opened up my heart to him and said, I want to follow you, Lord. I love you. And that changed everything. It reordered my life. And you know what? Here's a prayer. For some of us, God wants us to open up his, our hearts to him. But some of us, he's opened up our hearts. May, may that heart to Jesus never close. May it stay open all the days of our lives, all the days, through the good and the bad, through all of our temporary successes and, and whatever else comes our way. May our heart always stay open to the one who's called us by name and loves us dearly and looks right through us and sees us as we truly are. Now, between that moment and the moment we're about to look at, which is the other exchange that occurs, a profound exchange that occurs in the fifth chapter of Luke, it's recorded there, very early on in Jesus' ministry, we know a couple of things happened between what occurred in John 1 when Jesus gives Peter this name, right? And when, he, when Simon, son of John, is told, you are now Peter, um, between that moment and then the moment we're about to look at, there was a certain amount of time that had passed. During that time, Jesus' popularity had grown exponentially. People were following him. He was extremely, um, uh, yeah, we would say it, now in the, in the prime of, of, of his ministry point, uh, everybody wanted to be around him. 
uh, he, was, he had been healing people. He was teaching things. Uh, there was talk that he was Messiah. And there were people like Peter and Andrew and James and John and Matthew and, and others who had committed themselves to be more than just nominal followers, but truly intense followers of Jesus. And they were there, in a way, working part-time to, do, to serve him and, and to be a part of his ministry. And we also, and I'll just put up a, a quick little map here. Just ge- geographically, Jesus had moved his sort of base to, we would say his base in our vernacular, base of operations to Capernaum off the seashore of the Sea of Galilee. You can see it there. And that had become a central place. And you'll see it a lot in the Gospels, right off the, right off the Sea of Galilee. A lot of the things we're reading about occur right there. Now, we also know that, that, though, that they hadn't quite, evidently the disciples hadn't quite made a full break. They had made a partial one. And so by the time we come to Luke 5, we're going to see this something that happens, and it's going to change. It's like the second wave of change in the life of Peter. It's really connected in some ways to this moment. Let's look at it together. Luke 5, verse number 1, around the Sea of Galilee, also called sometimes the Lake of Gennesaret, because this really was a lake. It says, so it was as a multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, by the Sea of Galilee there. And Jesus was teaching as the crowds were thronging him just to hear him teach and declare to them God's word. And, they, and then he, Jesus saw two boats standing by the lake, and, and, but the fishermen were told had gone from them and were already washing their nets, which, by the way, to wash one's nets was hard work. Uh, it was done at the end of a day and end of a, you know, uh, a, t- a time of fishing. It was not light work. It was heavy work. Those were heavy nets. They had to be cleaned, sometimes fixed. It was, it was like an ending to a work day that required a lot of effort. It wasn't something that you just did casually. It was a big deal for a fisherman. And we are actually told that one of the boats that Jesus used was Simon's boat. Look at it, verse 3. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little bit and um, to just move into the water and uh, from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. And that's a great picture. It's an artist scene. If you've ever seen the Sea of, you know, the sea of Galilee, um, it's, it's just a picturesque lake. It's, it, it really does have a, a feel to it. And, um, you know, it just, it's just one of those, those, you can just picture it in your mind's eye, Jesus sitting on the boat with all the pastels, the blue, and, and just the, the sun there in the morning time, and the crowds are on the shore, and Jesus is backed away on the boat. He's, he's talking because it, your voice can carry on the water, especially if there's a little bit of a hill behind where the multitude is. It sort of becomes a natural amphitheater, really a big deal when you don't have any amplification. And so Jesus is teaching. Their crowd is there. They're listening. He's in the boat. So that's the picture we get. It's, an, again, an artist's picture. And then it says that when he stops speaking... You know, he was done with his teaching. He then, and I'm assuming released everyone to go, he then turned to Simon. And he said, Simon, I want you to um, launch out in the deep. I want you to get those nets that you guys have all cleaned, and I want you to go take them, and I want you to go back out again, and I want you to get out in the deep because I feel a catch coming on. (laughs) I I think if you guys go back out there right now, you'll find the fish that you didn't get. And you got to understand, is like, Peter, it's, okay, Peter, this was his, Jesus, they would never argue, look, it would be like this, they would never, the fact that Jesus was Messiah, the fact that he taught, the fact that he was a rabbi, the fact that that he was the one whom they had come to believe he was, uh, the fact that he could could ask them to, 
to do things with moral and spiritual implications. There was just no questioning Jesus' authority on spiritual matters. But when it came to fishing, <laughs> it was like, this is my area of expertise. <laughs> and you may not, how do I say this? There's nobody fishing right now for a reason because nobody goes out there in the middle of the day. We've been fishing. Look what he says. We've been mastered. Master, no disrespect intended here at all, really, truly, honestly. But look, we've been toiling all night long. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is all of us here, we've, we've been working all night. We've all through the morning. Um, the, the, <laughs> we're done. We're tired. We cleaned the nets. Uh, we got nothing. It's a waste. Of, I mean, it was bad out there. And so you know what? I mean, honestly, what's implied here, that's just, that's just it's not a great idea. I mean, we don't want to do this. And, and I really, you know, if it's possible, look, do you understand? We've been working all night. We've got nothing. This is not the time of the day when people fish. It's like it's a fisherman's protest is what he's making, right? He's telling them, look, I we don't go out in the middle of the day like this. It's not the way it works in the deep in the middle of the day. And besides, you know how much work it is to do it. And man, we really don't want to do this. But if, but if you're insisting, then, yeah. I mean, all right, let's get the nets, right? We're going back out. <laughs> now, I was reading, because I, I remember when I was uh, just starting to follow the Lord and, uh, when a young, much, much younger man. Uh, I remember reading uh, character studies, and I love to read character studies. And one of my favorite writers was a man named F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer was a, a preacher, pastor, evangelist, writer in England at the end of the 19th, early 20th century. And he, he had a lot of uh, ministry exposure at the same time around of a man named D.L. Moody, which not everybody will recognize that name, but some would. But... Myers became popular in the States because his books were fo that focused on characters in the Bible became somewhat popular. And I remember reading a book of his in which he did a character study on Simon Peter. And I remember this moment he had how he described it. And I, it's not in your hand. I just want to share it with you. Just kind of sit with it in our mind for a minute. Peter had fished these waters from boyhood, Myers writes. There was nothing in the craft with which he was not familiar. The habits of the fish, the hours and the spots most suitable for taking them, the effect of climatic conditions. In all of this, he was proficient. He would have highly resented any interference on the part of other fishermen of his acquaintance, and now he found himself suddenly confronted with a bidding which was contradicted by his experience by the universal maxims and practices of generations and by the bitter failure of the preceding night which had left him jaded, weary, and out of heart. Now, he would be prepared to obey the slightest precept that came from the master's lips, but how could one who had spent his day in the carpenter's workshop of a mountain village be competent to take command of a boat and direct the casting of a net? Was he to renounce himself in this also? The morning was no time for, for fishing. Everybody knew that. The glare of the light revealed the meshes of the nets. And the fish were to be found not in the deep, but in the shallower part of the lake. The whole of the, his fellow fishermen that might see his boat putting out at such an hour, laden with nets that had just been cleaned, 
and evidently prepared for fishing, would laugh and count him crazy. What, look at Peter going back. What is he doing? The peer pressure on top of everything else, on top of the fact that we've done this all night, we've already fished, we've got nothing. It's a bad day, let's leave it there. We've already cleaned the nets. You're telling us to get back in the nets, go roll back out there again. Throw them out at a time when everybody knows there are no fish out there at this time of day that we can catch, and then everybody's going to be watching me do it. Sure, sure I'll go. All right, nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, at your word, uh, I'll tell you what. Why don't we just go? We'll go out there, and then you just tell us when we're supposed to stop and toss out the nets at your word, and we'll just throw the nets out and, and, um, and just let us know. We're, we're, you're, you're in charge. All right? That's the, that's the point here. What a sh- Look at this. And when they had done this, they caught such a great number of fish. It was so extensive that their net, the Bible says, started almost breaking. And in fact, they, they, were, they had so much, they had to start signaling to what? To their partners in the other boat to come, come over, help it, come over here and help them. And they came and they both, in fact, they both filled their boats, we're told, to the point that each of those boats began to sink. There was so much weight on them that they each were kind of lurching their way back to the shore, getting very close to the waterline. It was such an intense moment. Now, there is so much here for us. There is so much here for us. Now, the title, the, the, the application we're going to put out here is really connected to the title, but there's a difference. See if you can see the difference, all right? Because when it comes to following Jesus, we're going to have to get past the fear of trusting God. See if you can see the difference here. We'll put it up. Trusting God with what we think we know best. What we think we know best. What we're talking about is the fear of surrendering our will, right? Or to use the language of this passage, the fear of surrendering control of our boat. As most of us who followed Christ with any intention for any amount of time, you understand that there are going to be times where the Lord is going to challenge us at the very center of our life. He's going to ask us to submit to him. I mean that in the best sense of the word, to do something that maybe we don't want to do because it doesn't make sense to us. And I've already done it anyway. Why do I gotta go back out there again? I've already cleaned those nets. Besides, what's everybody gonna think about it? They are gonna make, I mean, come on. I don't wanna look like a fool. Here's the thing, there are moments where some of us are gonna have to really decide who is the captain of our ship. And this is a very important piece here because I look at it and it's almost like Jesus is saying, there are going to come, become, come times where he's going to ask us to trust him with our security and our identity. When he's going to ask us to submit to his, his word. See, Peter was willing easily to submit to Jesus' word over his life. But it was a harder for him to do it in an area of his life that he just felt like he knew better. I know fish. I know when you catch them. I've been doing this my whole life. And with no disrespect intended, Master, and notice the word he uses is master. That word that's translated master in the Greek, it actually means commander or captain. It's an interesting new play on words there. Epistates, it's a word that implies captain, commander, one who's in charge. Nevertheless, at your bidding, <laughs> we'll go out there 
And I think it does remind us that when it comes to following Christ, there's going to come a moment. If this thing's going to work right, listen to me. If we're going to get the kind of abundance that he wants to bring into our lives, we're going to have to make the decision as to who the captain of the boat is. There cannot be two captains of the boat. There can only be one. That's what Jesus was trying to teach Peter. Even here, even here, Peter, especially here. Because this is the area that you think you don't need me. But you need me here as well. Remember, I can always do more, even with what you're best at. But it's a humble path. And it's going to call you to lay aside what you want to do. It's a great question. There are times where the Lord is going to really set that out to us. Will you, let, will you yield to me, the captain? Can, will, are you willing to let me be the captain of your life? Really? And that means, to be, to be that, it means that we're going to have to be open to going out and to stretching ourselves and to pushing out sometimes when a part of us doesn't want to do it and when, when things don't always make sense to maybe launch out. Because see, it's easier to, to stay by the shore. But there are times where he says, I need you to launch out there. And we're saying, but Lord, I don't want to, I mean, I've already, I'm tired. I, we worked all night long. I don't want to, I got to do this again. I need you to do it. Because if you do it, there's a blessing there that will come no other way. You will see that I can do amazing things, even in this area of your life. You need to learn how to trust me with what you think you know best. That's a great word. And why is that? Second piece, because he longs, and let us not miss it, he longs to take us into the deeper places. I love that. I love that because in a way, he's, it's like it's everything the Christian life is supposed to be, a vibrant, growing, experiential life with God that, that touches us in real places. See, we can live it at the surface level, but... It's no way to do it. It's like, if we're going to follow him, then let's follow him. If we really want this to work, we've got to throw our heart into it. He's gonna have to give, we're going to have to be willing to let him direct our steps. He wants to teach us how to experience growth. Important phrase for us in our church community. He wants to teach us how to learn how to grow with him. He wants to teach us how to, how to grow in our self-understanding so that we can discern, not with pride, but with sobriety, our strengths and our weaknesses. I often talk about the value of soaring with our strengths. That's what Jesus is going to get Peter to do. But at the same time, in order to soar with our strength, we're going to have to manage our weakness. And to manage a weakness, you got to first, we have to first acknowledge what it is. And there, there are blind spots. There are spots in our lives that really hurt us and damage us, where particularly we are vulnerable. It will hinder our ability to move forward with God. Those areas, the Lord wants to teach us how to manage those areas. And, and I think this is so true. This is true for every age group, but especially when we're young in our adult life, how vital it is to just come to the Lord and ask him to work on our character to take very seriously discerning what our strengths are and then to learn what our weaknesses are so they do not hamstring us all the way through our life, one decision after another that is less than what it should have been. 
God has a way for us. It is a way of blessing. It's a way of life. It's a way ultimately that produces life in other people. And that is God's plan. I'm convinced of it for many of us. We often underestimate what he's trying to do. His call to us is to the deeper place. And life in God is lived best at the deeper places. It's, It's not meant to be something we dabble with. It's something we throw our heart into. You see the difference. It doesn't mean we're always doing this right. But when we are sincere and serious, we will find that we open up the door to miracles, to bounty, to blessing that is ultimately going to bless other people, which is that the core, the point of this is not self-actualization. That's a side benefit is learning who I truly am in God's eyes. But the real benefit is this. It's all the blessing that flows down the line to people who we love and are in relationship with. It's all the good that can come from a well-lived life that honors God when all this other stuff is laid aside, and it will be. What we have is something that will endure, a love that goes beyond this temporal life of ours that even, even death cannot quench it. That is a gift. Last thing we'll say about it is this. Is that the overcoming life, number three, the overcoming life, the fearless life, the fearless life is going to require partnership. Look at this. You can see it. You see it in a, with two things, with both Christ and others. You, see, you can see exactly what I'm talking about. When, what does it mean? It means that it's almost like Peter is recognizing for the first time that partnership with Christ, when we really partner with him, that, that submission on our part secures cooperation on his. That, that when we are willing to do what he's asking us to do, it opens up all kinds of possibilities. And all of a sudden, things that we weren't seeing before come alive. When we allow him to be the captain of our lives, we create room for possibility. Yes, I will say it, even for the miraculous. And, and some of the things that happen are just stunning in the goodness of God and the way in which other people are affected by the good decisions we make. Too many, this, and that's why we say, and then what's the second piece of that? It's not just partnership with Jesus, but it's partnering, because we saw what Peter, Peter says, okay, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. That's partnership with Christ. But you know what the partnership with others is? It's like, guys, I need your help. This thing is, this, this is such a, <laughs> there's so many fish here. I can't do this on my own. I need you guys. Come over here. Help me out. Let's do this together. It's the picture of what life in God is supposed to be, a growing, vibrant life that involves other people who are seeking to do the same thing. And when we get that going in our life, that's how we grow. That's how we stay sharp. That's how we begin to mature. You see it? It's, it's having people who we can labor with. That's why we talk about small groups, getting involved in a ministry, getting, beyond, getting involved, rich, having rich friendships in which we encourage one another to be better, not settle for the lowest common denominator, but how can we honor God with our lives? What would making a good decision here look like? How can I get free of this garbage that is just, I'm tired of it, just hanging on me all the time? I need to get better. How do we do that? It's with others. Listen, the astonishing surprise was that the blessing was anything but superficial. In fact, what does it do? The surplus requires him to to what? To, To solicit the support of his friends. And that... And they all got to share on the blessing, and so it will be with us. That the, the God's blessing in our life will inevitably require us, because it's spilling over in, in good ways, not problem-free ways, but good ways. It'll spill over, it'll touch other people, and they'll want to come along and join with us in it, all because we're willing to trust him, even in the area. 
that we think we know best. And I'm, I'm telling you, in fact, the song that we're closing with is called It's Yours. And for me, this song that is, is in our handout here, it re, it, in a way, it's like Peter's song. But I thought, Lord, in some ways, it's like all of our song. We get to decide if you're going to be the captain of our lives, Lord. And this song that we're closing with really does describe what it means to, to, to surrender and to trust God with not just our problems, but what we think, what we, think we know best. And in this place, in this place, there's, you'll, there'll be a point in this song where you just hear this, like, cry of surrender. At the very end of it, it's like this, this prayer of, you know, mold me, mold me and make me. And it's like we're asking the master potter to shape us into a vessel that can contain his grace. And some of us, we've been, I talk about this, we've been so damaged, we've got holes, we've thing comes in, it comes right out because it's, it's, it's got like cracks in it. Lord's trying to refashion that. Do you see it? Some of us got it from our past. Some of us grew up with it. Some of us, we've had a practice and a, a pattern of living that, that is, is, is self-destructive and the Lord is trying to get that thing healed up and healthy. See, what we're going to see next week, Lord willing, is the reaction of Simon Peter. I mean, it's just so beautiful. He, he, when he realizes what's really happened, he's going to say something to Jesus that is so awesome and so powerful and so real and authentic. But it's about us being open. So let's pray and then we'll close out, okay? And Lord, I want to thank you as we, uh, you know, before we head into the rest of this day, got our plans. I pray that we would finish this moment well. Teach us to do this. Help us to do this. Help us to be growing men and women all the days of our lives. Some of us, we've been at this for a while. Keep us in love with you. Keep our relationship with you vital. Iron sharpens iron. Lord, teach us to sharpen one another. Uh, some of us are in the middle of this. Lord, we've, we've been running well. But we've got a lot of race to run. Teach us to pace ourselves, to run this race with patience that is set before us. Others of us are very young in this life. Not only life with you, but just life, period. We've got a lot of, a lot of choices to make that are going to de determine the course of our life. I pray that we listen for your voice. We listen well and make good decisions. And the best way to do that is to say, Lord, I'm open. I'm open to you. My life is yours. With all of its flaws, shortcomings, contradictions, yeah, even its sinfulness, Lord, I give it to you. I want you in my life. I love you. So, Lord, I ask for your blessing. Bless this closing song. Bless our time of giving as we honor you to the best of our abilities. We do this together in Jesus' name.